Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 137, and we are covering chapters 7, 8, and 9 of The Final Empire by Brandon Sanderson. Paul, how are you? Oh, so good. Excited to get further in. I think we're wrapping up uh, part one, and that's always exciting. Elliot? I'm doing, I'm doing great. I feel like we are blazing through this book. Like, we're reading a little bit faster pace, I think, than we've done some previous books. But just kind of looking at the page count we've already covered, we're moving for podcast pace, I suppose. It is. It's. I do want to talk about that a little bit. And it's kind of interesting that word count, we are a little bit higher than average than a Stormlight book per episode. But the chapters in Mistborn are longer than the chapters in Stormlight. We're only covering three chapters every episode, but we're our word count is higher than four chapters of a Stormlight uh, episode. So, um, yeah, and portion of the book, like instead of 120 chapters or whatever, we have like I don't know how many are in this book, like 50. I don't even think it's that many, I think it's like 45, maybe something uh, like that. Yeah. So, so it's it's way less. It's much a, more of a linear progression straight through the book and stuff. So it just feels like we're flying, which is honestly kind of fun because Stormlight was incredibly fun, but also sometimes it was like, wait, that was all I get? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And this time I'm like, all right, I've got to keep up. Got to keep up, you know? So it's nice to have that kind of change of pace. I agree. And it's 38 chapters. Whoa. I was going to say 38. 38, but I said 45 to Are have you a... Kidding me? I was actually going to say 38. Um, I guess the most... I guess I read here just last. And so I think that one's closer to like 50 or something. Who knows? Who knows? Um, Do you guys have two words to summarize this episode? Elliot? Of course. Uh, those are not my two words. The two words are monsters and metals. Okay. Oh. Ooh. My two words are practice and adage. Okay. Like like an an adage, like a saying. So uh, it took me forever to remember what that word was. So that's all. I'm also going to say, I'm sorry, I'm going to hijack you for a second, Trevor. The intro. The intro has to go. Oh, wait. Let's use these four words and talk about Mistborn. Okay, now that that's done. There you go. Okay, now that that's done. And th this is not important at all, so I'm really, really sorry for hijacking, but I'll apologize later. This is the just random cup I found in my cabinet. I just wanted to, to I don't know, I feel like people don't appreciate it enough. This is America's Railroad, <laughs> Durango and Silverton, something, some kind of railroad museum. It's just a random cup. I have no idea about this railroad or anything. I, I do. Just want to know that. <laughs> I know I all about Durango and Silverton. It's in Colorado. Yes, it is. I, that's really cool. However, however, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I just want y'all to know that for I don't know the last two years, I think uh, just about two years. Every time I go get a different cup for every episode, almost every single time, I've walked into my kitchen and opened up the cabinet, and there's a different cup. Like there's some just random other cup, it's just like it's magically producing. I I I have three other 
guy roommates currently, and it's just always something. I don't know. They just appear, and I just wanted to appreciate the fact that I've gone like two years just with cups producing out of my kitchen. Anyways, that's really dumb, and we can continue to our content. I just think that's really crazy because I didn't think I would find a new one today. I thought I was going to give up on that for Mistborn of like, okay, I'm going to have to start repeating cups, but I'm going to go as long as I can. So, yes, your roommates are kind of sitting in, the ro- in their rooms going, where do all my cups keep disappearing to? I keep putting them in the cupboard and then they just disappear and they're gone. What is up with this house? That's true. So it's going to be like, I got that at the railroad museum <laughs> for Durango in Silverton. And it's not going to be there. And they're going to be really upset about that. But I'll deal with the consequences. So it's just the small price that I put up with, uh, you know, for for the, the channel here. So without further ado, um, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy to hop in however you see best fit, Trevor. So I was going to introduce a new segment on this podcast, but you have already have with the escapades of finding a new cup. So the second new segment on the podcast, it, we're going to turn it over to Elliot. For those of you who have read Mistborn and are not necessarily like doing a reread with us, we're going to start summarizing our chapters in the episode at the beginning so you guys can get a ballpark of where we're at in the book so that you can be a little bit more educated and refresh your brain as we talk about it and get a little bit more out of the discussion so elliot do you want to go ahead and summarize uh seven through nine i certainly can and yes shout out to our discord channel as well a couple different people in there i think requested this as a as a segment it was an excellent idea so we will do this henceforth all right so we for episode 137 here we did chapters seven through nine which wrapped up the end of part one and then went one chapter into part two at the first part of this segment we met marsh kelsier's brother marsh shows up to at the very end of the the meeting that they're having with uh with the crew marsh is rather grumpy I guess not super happy about what's going on. Not super thrilled with Kelsier. He kind of sort of mostly agrees to help out the crew by the end of it. So I think Marsh is on the crew at this point. Uh, we transition from that into Kelsier gives Vin her miss cloak, her misborn cloak, which I thought was a, a cool moment. And they officially start their, their training. He teaches her about a variety of different metals. We, we get to learn a lot about them. He explains just about all eight of the basic metals. Maybe not quite all of them, but you can kind of fill in some of the pieces on the rest of them. Kelsier and Vin, they head outside the city. So they climb over the wall and they head out into the the night and they see a mist wraith in the middle of the, the land as they're going. Kind of crazy moment there. They meet up with a new character. Help me with the name, guys. Sezed? Okay. Really close, yeah. So we we haven't been doing spell checks, but maybe we... I, I need to address this up front. I, not to completely derail your segment here, Elliot. But Mistborn, the names and the locations are modeled after France. And like the French countryside, Paris, like in Renaissance Paris-ish. And okay. so Kelsier, as a name, is more like Kelsier of like a french like add the french ending to it i'm I'm probably butchering that but um 
the way the audiobook says Sazed is Sazed, as if he is British and he's telling you to say Zed instead of Z. It is Sazed. Um, but Brandon Sanderson also acknowledges that that is actually the incorrect way to say it if you're trying to have a French pronunciation, French accent on it. But he says, I don't care really how you say it. I'm going to say Sazed. I'm going to say uh, Vivina is how he says um, Vivena in Warbreaker. I don't care if you say Shallon. I don't care if you say Shallon. Like, he's, he's very open to not correcting people. So the audiobook says Kelsier and uh, Sazed for our two characters in this scene here. So proceed. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I won't lie. So, Vivina kind of hurts my feelings. It hurts my feelings a little bit too. Vivena is clearly Vivina. the correct way to say that name. And it's a good name. <laughs> Reminds me too much of like Vienna sausages, you know, but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to our, uh, our adventure. They meet up with a new character. Sazed or Saze or I, I don't even, we'll, we'll go Sazed. Sazed. Yeah. Sazed uh, is he seems like a he seems like a cool dude. I'm excited to talk about him a little bit. Uh, there's a moment where Kelsier gives Vin a bag of money from the previous job that she'd worked on, and there's an important moment where she decides he kind of gives her the option, "Hey, would you like to leave?" And Vin, holding all this money, way more than she's ever seen before, decides not to leave. She decides to stay. They travel on to the city of uh oh, more names, Felice. Felice, yep. Okay, Felice, which is where our uh, Lord Renault is. This is the imposter guy that Kelsier has stood up in, in place of the uh, the nobleman they're going to need. And then, let's see, they uh, make plans for Sezed to train Vin to be a young lady, a noblewoman. And uh, that's the end of part one. We pick up part two with Vin and Kelsier doing more training. Vin gets a haircut, which is a big deal for her. Uh, Sezed keeps trying to convert Vin to various different religions. Apparently that's a hobby of his. And uh, they establish an alias for Vin as Valette Renault, with kind of a, a bit of a backstory there, getting ready for her to infiltrate the noble scene. And then it kind of ends with Kelsier musing about the fact that Vin seems especially gifted at Allomancy. Thank you. Thank you, Elliot. Paul, do you want to do you want to correct him on that name or should we let it slide? Yeah. I was uh -oh. gonna say, I was about to say. Okay, so Brandon Sanderson does such a kind job of not correcting people, but oh my gosh, it, it hurts me a little bit. I can't lie. I was I was chuckling. It's it's you did you did such a great job with all the names. And honestly, I was thinking about it, and I think how you say it is probably like more correct, I guess. But that's just not how it's like heard. Uh, they they talk about Lord Renew and Lady okay. Bella Renew. Yeah. Um, Renew. Okay. Reno, okay. Which I was thinking of, like the Go G A U X or whatever, which I think originates from like French or things like that. Yeah. So I was like, you would say, oh, like Renault, not like ooh. But anyways, they say they say Renew, and you know, I, I'm I actually kind of criminal about correcting that in real life. I, I was, have several friends reading, and they're like, oh, Adeline, or like another name from another book, and I'm like, you mean Adeline? <laughs> I've kind of gotten myself in trouble for that. I was going to throw a fit if you were about to tell me it was pronounced Renaux, 
<laughs> that, I, that I was going to have a problem with, but yeah. or no I, I, I could do that. I can do that. Yeah, <laughs> fair, fair. They yes, they they do say Lady Valette Renu is who uh, Vin is taking the persona of Lord Renu, who we who we meet in Chapter Eight. Who's an imposter? We'll get there. Um, getting into Chapter Seven, Marsh leaving off from last week chapter six ends with marsh like storming through the door and demanding kelsey like we're gonna have a meeting right now you guys like get over here marsh and kelsey have this conversation and i'd like to hear you guys' feedback on these two characters because marsh seems to be the higher moral character between kelsey and marsh kind of and he and he comes in here and says, "How dare you have this whole plan? I've been working for this rebellion since I, since I was like you know four, and you've been off goofing off with your with your friends. You come in here, take this whole thing, and now, like, I, I've done so much work, and you're taking all the glory, basically." And he gets really mad at him. What do you guys think of this conversation? I, your comment there is interesting, and I was thinking about it. The is is Marsh supposed to be the kind of righteous and and straight path version of of Kelsier? Couldn't quite tell. Like maybe, yeah, maybe. He also kind of comes off as rather like jaded and scarred in a way, which is kind of Kelsier's thing, right? But it seems like maybe he Marsh set off with maybe back in the day, Marsh had all the the good motives and Kelsier did not. But now here we are in today where Kelsier's had a bit of a change of heart. Marsh maybe hasn't had a change of heart, but he's now just kind of beaten down by the fact that he's been trying to lead a rebellion for so long and it just isn't working, and he's just very grumpy about it. Yeah. This this whole, like, older brother, younger brother disagreement thing is a very well-traveled trope, and I, I don't think Brandon Sanderson is covering any new ground with uh, these two characters, per, like, as, as far as their intro, at least. Does that mean I'm the old grumpy one and you're the the, the new passionate I, on a mission one? I didn't think I had to spell that out. That was pretty obviously yes, but <laughs> if you want if you want to highlight it, then sure. <laughs> I, I I have to say, like one comment on that, which honestly it's changed a little bit of how I've been reading this. Elliot, I think you made a comment in our previous episode about how in the time of Brandon Sanderson writing this book, he was more so like there was more of a trying to develop himself as an author and make a name for himself and almost following more of a traditional pattern, I guess, than we probably see in in his other writings that we've read. Um, and I think that's uh, like a neat thing to to point out with this. And like Trevor said, that's kind of a common ish trope. Like it's not super uncommon to see like brothers or some form of kinship with like a dichotomy of personalities. Um, I have to say, I think that's one that I'm a personal, like huge fan of. I think it's really, really cool to kind of see that um, style, but just something that I've been thinking about while I've been reading is kind of more of those, I guess, common tropes that, that you might see in other fantasy novels. A lot of good conflict you get between two characters is when characters line up like, you know, 94%, right? And then they kind of disagree right when you get to the finish line there and then that's when you have conflict there so that's pretty much exactly where marsh and kelsey are set up at least to start 
Uh, Marsh is a seeker. And we get a couple mentions of seekers, just kind of one-liners. We Seekers are not part of the... Are they? Or are they? Are seekers part of the whole training session? Do we get a comment on that? So, so Kelsier doesn't like get into so much two of the medals, which I believe one of them is the seeker medal. He doesn't really get into the... Well... He he talks about he it from the perspective of copper. So he said yeah. he's explaining copper and he says, you burn this so that a seeker can't find you. But he also doesn't right. really highlight the importance or the um consequences of a seeker and what they can do. Um so he, he hints at it. He has I think he has been try bronze mm -hmm. at that moment and, and is like, hey, can you feel anything? And she's like, Yeah, I feel like a a pulsing or something coming from you because you're doing allomancy. It's the emotional ones that they don't really do any training on okay. in this chapter. So what did you guys think of Seekers and all Inquisitors are Seekers? I was intrigued by the question that it seems like Kelsier himself might be asking, which is, is it a requirement to be a Seeker to become an Inquisitor, or does becoming an Inquisitor somehow make you a Seeker? Yeah. Intriguing question. I'm thinking Based question. on what we know, I would assume it's the first one, that they just find mistings who are seekers and induct them into Inquisitor school. Any input there, Paul? I'm. Yeah, no, I'm thinking about this. I never, honestly, I never realized that Inquisitors were seekers, I guess. Like, like that specifically, like, I knew that they could... Um, that they could detect alamancers and kind of their whole thing was like hunting alamancers, right? But mm -hmm. yeah, I guess I just never made that distinction of them just being seekers. And so, yeah, I'm not sure. I, in my head, I'm just thinking that's like kind of just a, a choice. Um, just like a, a, they're seekers, cool. Like they, that that's kind of their purpose is seeking out and finding alamancers on behalf of the. Uh, whoever they work for, I forgot the name. Is it like the ministry or something like that that they're called? I feel I feel like the uneducated one here, even though I've read this series. But uh, there's a lot of little details which I'm excited to actually learn more about this. This go through so. the steel and steel the steel ministry, I think is what it's called. Yeah. Um, what's up with ATM, Elliot? Give me a prediction on ATM. Marsh is all about. He's pointing at ATM on the board and saying, if you're really after the Lord Ruler, this should not be up here. And you are telling your crew, we're going after ATM because it'll help us. You're going out. He's accusing Kelsier of saying, you're going after ATM because it's worth a lot of money. So what, what is your prediction with ATM? What does it do? Why does Kelsier want it? Yeah. So we had a comment before in one of the previous chapters. It was very cryptic, but it basically hinted that Kelsier used ATM like he burned it when he destroyed Lord Tresting's manor all the way back in the prologue. There was a vague reference to that. So going purely off of that, it's we know it's one of the Alimantic medals. It's not one of the normal eight, so it's a special one. It somehow gives you some kind of destructive ability. I don't know what exactly. We know that 
Lord Tresting's manor basically burned to the ground. So I'm guessing there's some sort of incendiary element to it. There's there, there's fire involved somehow. It's my only guess. Powerful. Just to clarify, and I know my periodic table of the elements, right? The the other eight that we're talking about are all like earth, real earth metals. This is this is something made up, correct? I believe so. I do not believe ATM is on the uh, periodic table of elements. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it is either. We had the whole conversation about like base elements and like alloys, but yeah, the others are like we have them here on planet Earth, not just in Skadrill. Right. There's a quick comment in Vin's inner dialogue before they go out to do training, and I left my book downstairs, so I can't read the quote, but it says something to the effect of there there was genuine laughter and mirth coming from the thank you. <laughs> uh is this do you know the quote I'm talking about? <laughs> um No I don't. I was just holding up the book so you could read it. Thank you. <laughs> that there was genuine mirth and laughter coming from like the either the kitchen or the the crew room where Breeze and Ham and everybody were. They were just enjoying a drink together. And Vin feels not excluded, but that she's excluding herself purposely, that she's not allowed to go enjoy that with the crew. And I just wanted to highlight that as we, we don't get too much inner struggle compared to Stormlight, I think, in this, these early chapters where that's a lot of early Stormlight is inner dialogue. That is just a quick highlight of where Vin's mental state is of I'm not allowed to enjoy my time ever. I'm that that is not who I am. That is not my life. So they can I'm glad they're enjoying their time. I'm never joining that. I'm not allowed to. I'm definitely getting hints of some of the mental health type stuff coming out. And it's very Vin's struggles are very different than well maybe not very different. Vin's struggles are different than some of the struggles we've been through with some of the Stormlight characters. But I'm starting to already draw some parallels and maybe see where this might be going as far as the what what is what is Vin's inner struggle? What what's her mental battle? Yeah. All right. Elliot, do you want to run us through your uh spreadsheet? Did you get to fill out your spreadsheet this up or this chapter? I have made many updates to the spreadsheet and in fact is beginning to become a bit like a puzzle. Even though we haven't gotten every single thing spelled out for us, I can start to fill in the gaps with a few logical assumptions. It's this, The system is spelled out incredibly systematically, which I love. The, that the spreadsheet guru in me is like, yes, my spreadsheet is starting to look awesome. Kelsier goes through the different metals, which we already kind of knew what they were but he walks through them all and gives us some different aspects of them or descriptions or elements of the different magic that those metals can do. So I started categorizing them because I realized you can take your eight metals and they all fall into one of two options in three different categories. So you have internal and external allomantic powers. You have mental and you have physical allomantic powers. And then you have pushing 
and you have pulling allomantic powers. And so every single one of these powers and the associated metal fits into, fills out one of those options. So like as an example, tin is the internal physical polar, which is, if you think about it, kind of appropriate for what it does. Tin enhances your senses. It's internal to you. You're not impacting things outside of you. You're, you're doing something within your own body. It's mental. You're not, you're not affecting the physical world. It's a, the senses that you're receiving into your brain. And it's the, it's the polar. You're pulling those, that information into your body better or faster or more than you could without it. So tin eyes have that super sensibility. It's the internal mental polar. Whereas like pewter, for example, is the internal physical pusher. It's the pairing of tin, which makes sense because pewter is the alloy of tin. Pewter is mainly tin with some extra metal into it. So it's sort of the, it pairs with tin. It's very similar to tin in that it's internal and physical, but now pewter, I'm saying the wrong things, aren't I? Pewter is internal, physical, but it's the pushing side of things. So you're pushing your body to achieve more with the increasing of your physical abilities. So you can really break it down into categories and you can align different things. I can imagine a bunch of different, I'm sure this already exists, like diagrams you can draw up that you can, you know, draw lines and linkages between the two of them or like color code things. I guarantee you people have done that before. Maybe even Brandon has an official version of that. It's, it's, it's coming together pretty cool. I think he does have an official like poster on his website of how it all works. I believe that it is really cool, by the way. Elliot, I never made the connections about, like, I, I knew there was, a like, an opposite, a push and a pull, but I never thought about the, like, internal, external, like, mm -hmm. all, all the all the stuff like that. And that's a really, really cool distinction. And I wouldn't have thought about it too much either if I hadn't taken the time to sit down and write it all out. They They kind of drop lines about it here and there, where, you know, Kelsey will say things like, oh, steel, the external physical power and then he goes on and on and on like if you don't take a pause to go write that down and then start to like organize the sticky notes on the board like it takes a little bit of kind of engineering to piece it all together but once you do it makes a lot of sense so what are you missing well so i can pretty much fill in all the gaps he doesn't talk about everything but as soon as i realized the pattern i could basically just continue the pattern so i i have now in my spreadsheet all the eight metals and whether they're internal, external, mental, physical, pushing or pulling. And then of course, whether they're an element or whether they are an alloy and which element they pair with as the alloy of that element. So I have them all, at least the first eight. Anything else from chapter seven? I guess I got very excited that Kelsier directly answered one of the questions that I asked probably last episode, which was we get talking about all this alloys side of things my, my immediate question was like well hang on a second there's a lot of different alloys that you can make and if you're going to make an alloy the percentages of the metals that you use to make it are very important and so my question was like do you have to have exactly the right percentage makeup of an alloy for it to work and kelsey answered that question very directly yes apparently the answer is yes it does matter you have to have exact carefully measured 
alloys of these metals in order to use them for allomantic purposes. And he even mentioned like if you're off a little bit, it might still work, but maybe like not as effective. But if you go too far where it's not close enough, now you're going to start doing damage to yourself if you try and burn it as, as an allomantic metal, which I thought was very interesting and very cool. And then my last thing was one of the other things that Kelsier says in this chapter I thought was awesome. I'm starting to kind of piece together the magic system at least a little bit, which I'm really excited about because it was the one thing I was looking forward to the most. And he, Vin starts to kind of catch on and she's like, man, there's a lot going on here. And Kelsier's response was, yep, that's the great art of allomancy, which is the knowing what to use when, which as a misting is pretty straightforward. You, you only have one power. Right. But as a mistborn, things get really complicated really fast. Like it, when, when an enemy jumps out at you from a dark alley, you got a lot of options of different magics you can pull and things you can do. Like that's going to, that takes some skill to know like how to react and, and what to do. It, it makes me think of like a video game that has way too many skills or like things in it and how like, I know exactly what I want to do, but then in the moment when I get rushed, I just start spamming buttons and it doesn't go very well. Like you can't do that as an Alamancer. You got to know what you're doing. Or even worse, the video game that gives you all these options, but one is clearly better than the rest of them, so you just keep using that specific one and ignore the rest of them. That's even worse. Anyway, that was all my breakdown on our Alamancy lesson. All right, going into Chapter 8, where they jump out of the city and um, start walking around. Elliot, you had in your Discord reaction comment that... It is not possible for allomancers to affect metal that is inside a body. So once you swallow your your metals, you're safe. Don't worry about someone ripping your steel out of your stomach, That you know, like that type of thing. And you said, I hope Brandon has a good explanation for this. Well, I'll let you talk for a little bit, but then I have a question for you. This one caught my eye immediately because we, we've just been given this huge lesson on all the rules of allomancy, which is awesome. I love this kind of stuff. World building, science behind the magic. Yeah, give it to me all, all day. But then there's this little bit kind of snuck in there right at the end. Vin is actually worried about her earring that she's wearing. She's like, oh, do I need to not wear this earring? And Kelsey was like, no, that actually pierces your body, so you're fine. And therefore, you know, having metals in your stomach is also fine. Another allomancer can't just rip those out. And I kind of paused there, and I was like, that's awfully convenient, Brandon. <laughs> that that I I feel like there's got to be a reason for that, and not just the whole. Oh wait a second, my whole magic system breaks if people can just rip the metals out of each other's stomachs. And I'll say, I have full faith that there is a reason for this. Brandon thinks of everything, everything that that I've thought of, questions that I've had questions that I've waited multiple books to get answered, thinking, oh my gosh, there's no way this is ever going to get answered. There's answers. Brandon thinks of it well. He is a master of world building. I guarantee you he's at least thought of why that's the case. But the way it's kind of presented felt a little like, uh-huh, okay, got it. My question for you then is, does he really need an answer for everything or can you not just accept there's this linchpin safety pin rule that holds it all together 
and it's just magic and you're gonna have to deal with it is is that not okay sometimes it's like the classic suspension of disbelief in fantasy works this this is a big question that goes well beyond brandon this is a this is a question that touches on you know fantasy as a whole and to address that kind of side of it i don't think every little thing has to have an answer or i'm out sort of thing i i am okay with a little bit of that suspension of of disbelief a little bit of that i'm gonna buy into this world and believe that this is a um functioning place where things make sense and i don't need to understand everything i don't understand everything about this world that i live in there's just things that happen and i'm like oh okay sure i i believe it because i saw it i can i can do that a bit when i'm reading i believe it because well it says it right there on the page that said the way brandon and this is i'm ruined because we started with stormlight i guess the way brandon builds his worlds with the amount of detail in the world building that puts me in a mindset that expects everything to have a reason because so much of it does and because so much of it is so masterfully crafted with all these intricacies and different magic systems that kind of play into each other but then are also their own thing but that makes sense and there's reasons for it all if this became something that never gets explained in any of the books on one hand, I'm going to buy into it and say, yep, I believe it's fine. On the other hand, I'm going to always wonder. I'm always going to be stuck on this, like, hang on a second. Everything else has a reason. Why does this one thing not? So it will bother me if this does not get explained ever. Can I still be okay with it? Probably. What about for you, Paul? Do you have to have everything explained to you? I, I definitely don't. Um, typically, and especially, uh, this is something I was going to bring up of just like the pacing of this book. A lot of Brandon Sanderson's works, you're jumping between perspectives, you're doing all this stuff. This is more of a straight shot through. And to the point where sometimes things like, you know, concepts, lessons, chapter distinctions, uh, later on it gets, I, I mean, w like where we are, it's, it's getting to be more distinct, probably because I know the characters more, right? But um, sometimes chapters kind of like blend together more so than other books, you know? And so for that sake, it honestly helps me a lot with like not wondering too much about questions. I didn't ask too much. Like there are obviously the questions I don't know, like what are these other metals? What are they going to do? What is ATM going to do? What is like the actual significance? Is Kelsier going to turn out to like do great things? Is this going to be a flop? Like, like there's a ton of questions and a ton of stuff I have to, you know, wonder about, uh, but know that I don't, it's ultimately not that important to me. If stuff starts to contradict, that's usually where I draw the line of if it's like, oh, you know, this does this or this does that, or this is the limits of this, but then you see it completely like blown out of the water in like an actual like fight scene or something like that, then, then that's when it gets harder for me. That's especially true for like, movies and show the shows that's whenever stuff starts to just feel fake unrealistic or things like that you know that's a lot harder as far as like not understanding this um i just already know if he didn't put that sentence in there then everyone would be like why don't the elements just like target the opponent's metal like you know 
like and that like everyone pull that it's the that there's reasons for it but you know lord of the rings people were like why did they fly on the eagles to to mordor you know like you know it, like it wasn't specifically addressed in the book and so people are going to ask it and so i appreciate brandon like addressing it whether or not there's like a reason for it it just a little one sentence of the thousands that are in the book you know to be like you can't do that <laughs> You know, it is I, I didn't think about it too much. Okay. For me, just real quick, the I, I'm usually of the idea that you can do whatever you want with your magic system. If if you if you are talking about magic, you can pretty much do whatever you want, and I'm gonna be fine with it. Um what what where I do draw the line though is when characters start doing things that I don't think that character would do. If if there's a character that has a reaction to something that either have to do with the magic or not, and then reacts in a way that I'm like, wait, I thought I knew this character, and now does something that I don't think that character would do, that's where I get caught up in, in everything. Um, I was going somewhere else with that, but I don't remember where. But we can move on. Elliot, how do you spell Terrisman? I don't have my book on me. You hit it right in the notes. P T E R R I S M A N. Hmm. See, this got me. We didn't do a spell check on this or anything, but I opened our notes and saw that, and I was kind of baffled because I've heard Terrisman so many times now. But I assumed it was like a terrace, like what is it? T E R A C E, like a like a terrace. Mm. It's like a structure. Uh -huh. Don't know the actual definition, but it's some form of structure. Like a terrace man. Is a terrace you know? a balcony? That's what I have it def defined in my head as. I thought of it. You, you might be right. I'm actually curious. Curious though. But regardless, terrace T E R R I S is a is like a nation, like like a people group. Oh. So terrace men is is a why man of the people groups. Yes, which makes a lot of sense. Um, an actual terrace. Is a level paved area or platform next to a building, a patio or veranda. So, like, it's like a patio. It's like a a concrete patio. I was almost right. Yeah, you were that just like a story higher. Yeah, just a story or more higher, like balcony, a patio in the, in the garden thing. below. Yes. Mm -hmm. The balcony would look over the terrace. Anyways, <laughs> um. So Sazed is a man of the people groups, not of the patio furniture and, and patio landscaping. So it's an important distinction to make uh, as you are, uh, if you were reading for the first time or if you're a longtime reader. Elliot, what did you think of Sazed? I, we haven't seen too much of him, but, but I like what we've had so far. He, he strikes me as someone who's going to be very quotable. He seems like he always has that little thing, the, the right thing to say in the right moment. He's that one you can kind of turn to and be like, all right, word, words of wisdom, say Zed, what you got? And he can, you know, drop you a little a little nugget of something good. Even to the point of maybe being annoying, right? He's always yeah. got something to say. Just let me, gr yep. let me grieve, let me be, be happy. No, you've always got a quip for everything. I was going to say, I feel like I... I take Sazed in a very good way of like, he just ha like literally it's like his, 
his life's dedication to like know about all these like people groups, all these like religions, all the, all the things, anything. Uh, what's the term for it? Anthropology, like on Earth, like you know, that geom geography, all the stuff, you know. And he's so wise, like so he seems like he knows all this stuff. But I think he would be a horrible person to vent to because he would provide you answers, solve you know? all your problems. Yeah, yes. exactly. And then what about Lord Renu? What do we think of Lord Renu and why we can't have an Inquisitor near him? Important on this one. It was mentioned earlier. Kelsier said something like, I've got this imposter. He's perfect. No one can, you know, no one can tell that, that it's not him. And somebody else in the crew turns to him. Maybe it's like the, uh, it's a guy that doesn't have any powers. Can't remember Doxin. his name now. It's either that guy or the 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 ska rebellion leader guy. Turns to Kelsier in or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Eden. <clears throat> turns to Kelsier and says, "Well, how? How do you have that?" And Kelsier's answer to that was, "You don't want to know." Basically. <laughs> and so that has me intrigued. And here we are. We see the guy. He doesn't seem outwardly off. Vin doesn't seem put off by him or creeped out or anything like that. But I'm still very curious and suspicious that there's magic at play here somehow. That this is somehow a magical insert stormlight spoiler here type thing going on. I know the answer to this one, so I can't really chime in. But yes, what is happening? Hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the end of part one. Eight chapters in, we're at the end of part one. There's a two-month time skip, and then we get dropped right into this action sequence. And Vin is fighting with another Mistborn. And then we get through this whole fight sequence. She throws a bag into the air to, like, fake out the other Mistborn that um, she's jumping at him, but it's actually just the bag of coins. Anyway. It's just Kelsier. Like they're they're just sparring. I I feel like they could have opened with that. So it's not like because I got halfway through yeah. this. I got halfway through this scene, and I'm like, "What is happening? Where am I in the book?" Like I didn't I didn't think we were fighting other Mistborn, and but maybe that's part of the whole thing of oh she's got she's in danger. No, she's not. She's just sparring with Kelsier. I I didn't have much to take away from this scene. Vin's learning. Kelsier's teaching. She's very much the apprentice. She's very much the apprentice. He's very much the master, but it also is very much the whole, like, un unexpected prodigy trope. Yeah. Of here's somebody, the the diamond in the rough, basically. Of wow, she's a, a street urchin who we've taken in, and oh my gosh, she's so powerful at this magic system. It seems like that's clearly the path we're we're headed on. I don't have a problem with. It's just very much a, like an established trope. Like I mentioned before, with some of these more common tropes, I have like mixed feelings because I love like original stories. But I think Brandon does such a great job with his writing and makes it so entertaining and exciting. It's interesting because it's like we, we we've run into this with throughout all of our episodes. There's like the really cool action sequences and stuff that are really awesome, and it's what gets me really excited 
and motivated to keep reading. But it's like there's not as much to say about it. It's like, wow, they sparred and it was really cool. Like, go read it for yourself because it was really cool to to like to actually read it and picture it, you know. Uh, but there's only so much you could say about it. But I think um, this like kind of master apprentice relationship is also really really cool, really like satisfying. Um, it seems to me like a story of like building trust because Vin has been this like street urchin. Um, and, and someone who's always on the run, doesn't, can't trust anyone and stuff. What we even got a quote last, I don't remember the quote exactly, but it's like, she wanted, I don't remember the name of the guy who traveled with them, but she like wanted someone to go with her who wasn't even like a friend or anything, but just someone who wasn't necessarily mean to her, you know, but because she wanted company. right? Right. And it's, it's nice to see like. You know, they're they're not extremely close or anything, but it's almost some like trusted like relationship being built between Vin and Kelsier. And even probably the, the whole crew with Sazid and everyone. Um and we can see that kind of start to build and it's always like really encouraging to see that. Um and something that I'm a big fan of is kind of the the formation of the group, the dynamic, the like just the relationships and bonds that will be between the characters. The phrase that you use there, where there's not too much input, just go read it for yourself, was my kind of thought process with the the medals um, presentation that we get in Chapter 7, where Kelsier's just walking through Vin all the medals. I put it all on the outline, but I was kind of just tempted to write C-Book for details, because like, it's all just spelled out right there, and I'm, all I'm doing is recreating what, what Brandon Sanderson puts in this book. We get more... Uh, Sazed talking to Vin about more religions, and he he admits that he knows 562 more religions than what he's talked to Vin about in the last five or in the last two months. The one that's talked about in this chapter is called Trellagism, where they worship the god Trell. Has something to do with the stars and the stars versus the sun, and the sun is like evil and the stars are good anyway. Not not important, um, and and Sazed drops a a line and says he's a keeper. He he remembers the different religions and cultures of the world. That is his job. It's also hinted that keepers are rare, and or like hunted. Like that's he's a keeper, but that's also a secret that he would be tracked down and imprisoned or worse if the Lord Ruler figured out who he was. Yeah. A lot of suppression of other religions and you just have to worship the Lord Ruler. Anything else before we get into a little bit of Stormlight content? I can throw you a quick uh, theme for part one if you want it. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I actually... I actually toyed with not doing a theme for this part and maybe the rest of the book, just because like, like Paul, you were just talking about a minute ago, there's not quite as much to dig into in the story, at least so far as there was in stormlight. And maybe that's just because it's shorter. And so we had less time to, you know, stop and talk about philosophy. We, we, we do that for multiple pages at a time in, in stormlight, whereas here, not so much, but I went ahead and picked a word, or actually I'm going to cheat and do two words. 
I want to say the theme for part one is just metallurgy. I feel like I've I've learned about metals and alloys, and that's the biggest thing on my brain coming out of part one. But if I had to go for more of like a, okay, what's something a little more emotional or thematic? I guess the word I think I'd go for is fear. I think Vin is feeling a lot of fear. We talked about this. She's very kind of, it's like she's curled up in a ball all the time. She's just trying to fend off the world and not get hurt. And it makes you really sad for her. It just makes me, I don't know. She, she, Vin, needs, Vin needs a hug. She needs a friend. And, but I think fear is, fear is more prevalent even than just Vin. Like that seems to be a major part of the culture is just this atmosphere of fear of the inquisitors, of the system, this sort of half reverence, half terrified of the Lord ruler, a lot of fear going around. Thank you. All right. Stormlight spoilers. Here we go. Do you guys think mm. you can use allomancy on aluminum and silver specifically? So specifically steel pushing and iron pulling steel pushing. When, when you use steel to push, you can push on any metal is what it says. Not just like you're, you're not pushing on steel. You're pushing on any metal and burning steel. Same with iron, you're iron burning and then pulling on any metal. How do you guys think aluminum and silver interacts with steel pushing and iron pulling? So this, I think, is going to go back to the question of, is this investiture? It seems like aluminum is the anti-investiture from what we've learned about it in Stormlight. And I've already forgotten half the lessons that Navani taught me about metals and fabrils and things. But my guess would be, if this is investiture-powered magic, it would not work on aluminum because aluminum is the anti-magic metal. Yeah. So silver, I have no idea. I I don't remember my lessons on silver other than it keeps shades away in that creepy dark forest that I never want to go to. Yeah. So would it pull on silver? Sure. Maybe. I don't know. I think so. I, I, I'm also curious because if the shades on what's it planet, I don't remember the name of it, um, are investiture fueled and silver seems to like burn away the investiture that like if the investiture in that equation is the shade, then I would also say that silver is a counteraction to investiture along with sure. aluminum. But yep. we've had both of them introduced and both of them have specific rules, whether those, whether they follow the same rule, I, I'm going to assume that silver and aluminum are like pewter and whatever the pewter uh, pure one is. Uh, yeah, pewter and tin, where they're going to behave similarly, but then there's going to be something where there's a polar opposite. Um, that'd be my guess. So I would assume that you can't steel push or iron pull aluminum or silver. That'd be, that's my guess. Another question related to that that I'm asking that you guys probably know the answer to is can you allomance? Is that a verb? Can you allomance not on Scadrial? We we've we've had stormlight hints at 
you can't take Stormlight off of Roshar. Yeah. And so I'm curious if, I'm assuming there's some shards at play here, that we've got some slivers of gods powering these magic systems. And so if you travel to Roshar and you ingest some steel, can you push metal around? My first guess is maybe not. Right. Maybe you need to be on Scadrill to do that. So I'm very curious about that. I, yeah, I'm not sure how, I'm thinking back to Warbreaker and Breaths. So, because yeah. um, we've seen uh, Zyle, right, like use Breaths on Roshar. Right. Oh, yes. And this is, this is different because Breaths is like, there's like this whole heightening system. There's this whole like heightening system and like hierarchy. With this, I'm assuming there's not like any kind of like hierarchy system. Like it's obviously very different from breaths. It's you have a power, you ingest metal, you you burn metal. Like it's not a you can accrue breaths and work this up or like things like that or learn commands and stuff like that. Uh it's not a learned thing. It's like a you're like born with it. Um and so I don't know how that works. With that assumption, then I'm assuming yes, if you are a Mistborn and you are on Roshar, then then could you do that? There's there's like are there many metals on Roshar? I feel like there's just less metal in general, because it's like your your currency is spheres. Yeah. Like your I I imagine a lot of like roads and stuff are with like stone and, and things like that. So I mean, just be harder to do because there's not much metal, but and also you'd have to worry about like having alimantic grade like alloys and metals, like so you don't make yourself sick. Like, like it's it's hard. like hypothetically, I think yes, you could do you could uh, alomance on on Roshar. I hate that. I hate that as a verb. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> I love it. I love it now because <laughs> I used it. Now it's funny. I wonder if it has to do with the state of the shard that you're pulling from. They're having a bunch of trouble surge binding off of Roshar, or at least we've been hinted at that. I wonder if that's because Honor is dead. Because Honor is dead. And can't move. I wonder if you could void, void, bind, void bind off of Roshar, assuming you brought void light with you that type i'm wondering if the sentience sentience is not the right word of the state of the shard that you're pulling from matters well they're like isn't that uh Marais's whole thing is trying to get stormlight off of roshar so there are people off of roshar who i assume want that stormlight so isn't there a use for it out there Yes, certainly. So I, and for that, going case, back to your, I would assume that you could do something with it. Yes, and I would assume that you can too. You just need to be able to successfully get it off of Roshar, and that's the problem. Going back to your breath, breaths thing is what made me think of that because endowment, as far as we know, we, we, we've gotten like a three words of Brandon on endowment, and as far as we know, endowment is alive. Um, which makes me think of that's why Breaths works off of Nalthus. I see. I think it makes sense. Uh, anyway, just a thought. I had a 
a random thought as we were reading through these chapters. As, as we finished part one of Mistborn, I've realized how strange it is that we're talking about Earth-like animals. Yeah. And I had this thought when we were discovering the the Mist Wraith, which we didn't we didn't talk too much about. But the the Mist Wraith, kind of creepy sounding. I really want to see some artwork on the Mist Wraith. If someone has some some great Mist Wraith artwork, go push it in our Discord. I really want to see it. But they're describing this gelatinous ooze with lots of body parts that it's acquired from stuff it's found. But it's describing like deer's antlers and horses' heads and cow hoofs. And I'm reading the description like, wait, those are oh, the Earth ant. Wait, oh, okay, okay. I, I gotta still gotta shift gears out of crab horses and crab deer and crab cows. It's all regular stuff now. It that also made me remind or reminded me of Kelsier has this offhand comment about how all the trees should be green and the grass should be yeah. green and not and not gray. And Vin's like, green? What are you talking yeah. about? But yes, uh, the from the hints that we've got, original Scadriel does seem very close to, to Earth. So I don't think Brandon Sanderson was shooting far from far from home, if you will, on on designing Scadriel or original Scadriel, if you if you want to call it that. That that bit with the green plants actually reminded me of of Dune. There there's a moment in Dune where they discover these green plants, and it's like this huge deal, like oh, green plants, and that that just made me think of it that 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 being a foreign concept, and what that tells you about like the world you're living in. Just one more thing, I. I'm not going to make this a recurring segment, I promise. But if this were a Stormlight book, um, and I think if Brandon Sanderson was free to write this how he would want to write it, I think we would have seen more before the end of part one. The part one kind of ends with uh, five or six different action sequences and two or three lectures on magic systems and politics and stuff like that i think if if this were a stormlight book if this were a more confident more well-established brandon writing this i think we would have had at least two more training sessions on um on on, on alamancy and i think we would have had another like whole section de dedicated to explaining luthadel because luthadel has been talked about like vaguely but we also don't really have a good grasp of what exactly is around luthadel happening in luthadel the politics like does the lord ruler show up to meetings is he just this guy behind the curtain that never comes out you know like is what is happening with the lord ruler um we also would have had some also a random interlude at least one before uh, on the other side of the planet uh before the beginning of part two because i feel like part one and part two it just says Two month time skip. All right, keep going. Um, so I just wanted to kind of mention that that there there's some kind of meta commentary on Brandon as a writer reading this after Stormlight. I think you're absolutely right, and it's fascinating to compare the two. Actually, I wonder if we're doing him a little bit of a disservice when we say things like if he'd written it the way he wanted to, because I keep thinking that way too. 
But I wonder if that's not actually the case. I wonder if this is how he always did and and would have still, if he'd gone back in time to do it, have written this book. This was this was probably intentional, the way he wrote all this out. I'm. You mentioned it there for a second, Trevor. It, it's the either growth or like the the expansion of Brandon. It's it's this is streamlined Brandon, and we've seen in Stormlight what he can kind of branch out into, given the the, the canvas space to do that. So I I don't want to you know paint Brandon into a corner and say oh he had to write this book this way because he he didn't have the freedom to do it otherwise. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But I, I am very fascinated by the, the evolution of, of the writing over the years and stories. Uh, I think that's a really good point, Elliot. I think it's important to note how many different styles Brandon Sanderson has written uh, over the years. Like, obviously, there's a progression over the years. But, I mean, even <clears throat> he has a ton of short stories and, like, novellas and obviously like the higher fantasy approach of stormlight and stuff like that so i also don't think it's like and i also don't think there's i don't i don't know for sure you're welcome to speak uh, to answer yourself but i don't imagine that's fully how trevor was meaning it and i don't think he was like a if brandon got to do what he wanted to do with this project <laughs> he would have done this you know uh because i think brandon did do, we, we 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 went to his uh Dragon Seal convention, and that was kind of his whole thing. Was like, I, I don't, I'm not gonna write because I want to fit into a box of what I'm told I should be writing. I want to write what I want to write, and I think he has been true to that. And his style is just a testament of that, of how unique it is, and, and lots of things, and uh, and stuff. But I, I think that's a really good point that uh, he does that. And this is this is a different style. It's more fast paced. It's easier to pick up and get excited and get invested quickly in my opinion uh, because there's all this like excitement out of the gate and like all these quick turns and uh, yeah turns and progression and everything and I think that's a really cool thing I I did mean it more of what Brandon Sanderson wished he could write as opposed to what his publisher would let him write because Brandon has commented on commented on this, I have an advantage over you guys that I, I know several <laughs> quotes from Brandon talking about, I wish I had done this with Mistborn. Um, Interesting. So that there's a couple of, I wish I had stayed away from Grim Dark more than I had, um, or I wish that I had made some of the crew members female, or I wish that I had a little bit more time to experience uh, explore X. I'm not going to get into specifics. Um, in in the early books, you know, like that type of thing. What Paul you're talking about is him with the lost metal. With when he's when he's on book seven of Mistborn, he's he's certainly writing what he wants to write and not caring what his final four. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. So, anything else for episode one thirty seven? Nada. All right. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. We will reconvene next week. See ya. Adios.